Yo, what is up, guys? Welcome back to Tag Team, the Pokemon Trading Card Games premier podcasting duo. My name is Riley Holbert, joined as always by my good, good friend, Mr. JW Crewall. JW, how's it going today? It's going pretty well, Riley. How are you? I'm doing pretty well, man. I'm doing pretty well. Uh, it's been a little bit of a busy week, but can't complain too much. Nice, nice. I earned some big husband points this evening. You love to earn the husband points. Tell me about that. Yeah, I that was the biggest dub from the last weekend for <laughs> sure. But I helped my wife disassemble, replace a broken part, and reassemble our KitchenAid. Wow. Yeah. That's a lot. It's quite the feat. <laughs> It really make like the KitchenAids. I feel like are one piece of modern technology that is built to last. Yeah. But in doing so, they have a lot of little screws and a lot of um, screws at awkward angles <laughs> and a lot of screws that have like different heads. So there was this one head that I had never seen before, but it was like a square head. <laughs> and thankfully, I had a bit for it. Very nice. So I was able to get that get that out, but yeah, major dad was, energy over there for real, for real. Yeah, I mean, my dad was never much of a handyman, but my grandfather <laughs> was. So I, I channeled my inner, and you know, I'm named after my grandfather, so I channeled my inner John. <laughs> there and, you go. Uh, and fixed the KitchenAid. My wife was like, you know, you need to you, you need to help me with this. I can't do it myself. And I'm like, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll do it. I'll do it. And then we get into it, and it's like, man, this is way harder than I thought it would be. <laughs> I didn't realize what you were signing up for. Yeah, no, I might have said, yeah, just ship it to Kentucky or wherever the, <laughs> the, the repair place is. Well, very nice. It's working like a charm, though, now. Apparently, yeah, it moves and everything where it wasn't before. So yeah, that's a, I think I did that's something right. <laughs> Something's different, so... Exactly. <laughs> well, that's awesome. Having a good week otherwise? Yeah, pretty good. Work's going all right. Um, got some got some code pushed up into you know, pull made a made a pull request on the on the big uh, project today, so you know, that, that was good. Kind of a little culmination of of some things that I've been working on, so that's nice. And yeah, I mean, had a great time this weekend. I can't believe it's Already Thursday, I feel like this week has just flown by. <laughs> yeah, you're telling me, man. I don't know where the time goes anymore. Maybe I'm just getting old. But we had a great weekend this past weekend in Toronto, Canada, at the Toronto Regional Championship. And we're so excited to break down how it went, what our experiences were, uh, and what's coming up ahead. But before we do any of that, there is some exciting news in the Pokemon trading card game space. And that is there's a batch of new cards that have been shown off from the Scarlet and Violet expansion. Now, a lot of these cards are fairly mid, I would say, but they're also like the starter deck type of cards, you yeah. know, like the promotional cards that you'll get when this when the games first come out type of thing. Yeah, and I mean they this is a very common theme whenever they're uh, introducing a new block. At this point, I've survived um like three new blocks, right? There was the Heartgold Soul Silver, you had your X and Y and then your Sun and Moon and now Scarlet and Violet. And so I've Shield. seen 
I've seen this progression happen. And usually that first set, you know, 10 years ago, we were saying for the first set of, of, you know, HeartGold, Silver, like, wow, these cards are really underwhelming. They'll never, you know, keep up with the current pace of play. But then things just kind of reset um, as more sets get introduced, as sets leave the rotation. And I think, you know, we'll see some of that. Now, there are some cards in the Scarlet and Violet leaks that are really exciting. The Mirrodon, the Lightning Basic with the ability Tandem Unit. Search your deck for two basic lightning Pokemon and put them onto your bench. So in theory, you could just search for another Mirrodon and another basic to search for another Mirrodon for an, and another basic to basically fill your entire bench going first, assuming you could find that initial Mirrodon. So that's pretty cool. I like that. I don't quite know what you would, you know, what, what deck that would go in as the Mirrodon doesn't have a greatest attack but it is something to keep in mind and then we also have our first look at the terrestrial typings yeah so they've only shown one terrestrial card so far but you know assumptions aside it it's an arcanine ex and it has you know it's a little <laughs> little hat going on as you do in your terrestrial pokemon uh, this is a fire terrestrial arcanine so not really changing type or anything and it has a what I would say is the most comparable thing in recent history would be ancient traits. So it has a effect on the card that is not an ability or some other mechanic. You know, it's specifically offset from abilities and pokey powers and things like that. Um, and Arcanine specifically was a, more or less a bench barrier type effect where Arcanine wouldn't take damage while on the bench. Uh, I think. Personally, it seems unlikely that every single terrestrial Pokemon will have exactly that effect. I think more likely we'll see a variety of different terrestrial effects, just like we had, you know, the, the various different types of of Pokemon effects on the ancient traits. So it's pretty cool. It's I don't know. It's not like mind-blowingly amazing, but it's a cool new addition to the game. What I hope that they end up doing, and what I suspect that they will end up doing, because when I first saw this Arcanine, and I saw the terrestrial power, I guess, I don't know what you would call it, the terrestrial uh, attribute, I was like, wow, this is really underwhelming. But perhaps there's the kind of thought, as more cards get released, that there would be multiple of these EX Pokemon with different terrestrial abilities. That's kind of where my mind leads. Yeah. So there would be maybe another Arcanine EX that uh, potentially is, I don't know, a different typing and has a different terrestrial effect. And That's definitely so, what I'm hoping for too. And we've seen this, there's actually some precedent for this back with the ancient traits. Now, it wasn't uh, common, but the Groudon and the Kyogre and the Rayquaza all had different ancient traits for each of the Pokemon. And they were slightly different. And some of the ancient traits were like far superior. So you just never saw the other variety. But there is a little bit of precedence there. And since we were already alluding to the ancient traits, I think that might be a good parallel to, you know, uh, that I think back on, right? As, as I look at what Terrastral could be. I think there's also maybe the offset chance where, you know, maybe you have a standard Pokemon EX of just its normal type, 
and then maybe you have like one alternative Terra, and it's you know maybe you have the Fire standard Arcanine. Maybe not a good example. Maybe you have like the Electric standard Miraidon, and then you have I don't know like a Fighting Miraidon that's a Terra Miraidon. You know, there's all sorts of different ways they could take this. Terra as a mechanic in the video game is is super super flexible. So I hope they are able to kind of reflect that in the card game. Um, I think that would be not only the best parallel, but it would make the game the most interesting. So I have high hopes for the mechanic, at least to have some like type variability at the very least seems really fun. Without a doubt. We'll see more in the coming weeks, uh, but we're looking forward to Scarlet and Violet. But there's plenty of poke that has been played this weekend. Riley and I were both at the Toronto Regional Championships up in Canada. Yeah, I mean, Toronto is always one of my favorite cities to go to play a regional championship in. Uh, it's, it's fun to kind of get out of the States, even if it's not super far. I was having this, like, weird existential moment when I was in Toronto. Um, I was I was just hanging out by myself because, spoiler alert, I dropped from the tournament early. Um, I But I was hanging out by myself, waiting in line for food. And I had this weird existential moment where I'm like, I'm in a different country, but everyone else is just speaking English. What's up with that? <laughs> oh. It's just like a it's very stupid American moment. <laughs> but Toronto, seriously, is one of my favorite places to go to play Pokemon. The regional championship there is always tons of fun. Um, and Toronto is a great food city. So yeah. lots of yeah, good definitely. stuff to eat. What did um, you end up getting? Well... That particular moment, I was getting a Korean corn dog, which is something I was really excited about all weekend. Um, did it live up to the hype? It did. Yeah, it was really good. They don't have them in Madison, so it's a big deal to me that I can get them. Um, yeah, Toronto's tons of fun. And, you know, we got to the first swing at a regional championship weekend with the Silver Tempest expansion. You know, obviously it was played the weekend before in the Latin America International Championship, but this is the first time that folks who weren't at that international championship had an opportunity to use those cards. And, you know, across the three different regionals that we had in Stuttgart, in Melbourne, and in Toronto, or sorry, Brisbane, uh, we saw very different approaches to what we saw versus LAIC, right? Where LAIC Mm -hmm. was a very, very Lugia dominated yeah, not only metagame, not only just a Lugia dominated metagame, but it was very, very dominant at the very top tables. Mm-hmm. Lugia did not win any of the three regional championships this past weekend. Okay. So, first things first, we're going to talk about how you did JW, and then we'll we'll break down sort of the broader perspective here. So, uh, like I said, I dropped fairly early. I we played the Mew Path deck. And I beat two Lugias and then picked up some ties and losses that were uh, really disheartening, especially the, the wheezing <laughs> the wheezing deck with the two Drapion was, was probably the, <laughs> was probably what I knew that my day was not gonna end up where I wanted it to be. <laughs> but yeah. But I had fun still. I thought the deck was yeah. still really solid. Um, and I got to, to meet some some awesome listeners and uh, you know, generally I just had a, a really good experience. I always uh, meet some really awesome opponents when I get to play poke. JW, why don't you tell us about your experience, though? Spoiler alert, I didn't drop Oof. from the tournament. I know. So <laughs> I played uh, the the Mew Path deck, 
and I'm just pulling up my matchups here real quick. But one of the reasons that we decided to play the Mew Path deck, because, you know, I kind of came in the night before and I was thinking, all right, I'm probably going to play Lugia because it had just won the week before. I felt like it would be a deck that would do well just regardless of whatever counters could possibly be out there. Um, I didn't have anything super spicy in mind, um, anything unique that I had brought to the table. So I was thinking, okay, I'm going to play Lugia. I have um, Lost Box as a backup that I had been just grinding a lot on the ladder, and I would, you know, I was going to be prepared to take it and um, just run some games with it and see what the group thought about that. But ultimately what we decided on was Mew, and we felt like... Well, I was worried about the Mew matchup into Lugia. When I had been testing it with friends or in my coaching sessions or uh, with my brother or whatever it was, I just always found like uh, I was a step behind with the Mew deck. And in many cases I was, and in many cases the list that I was playing wasn't quite as good as the list that we ultimately ended up with. So after I saw what we had on the table was beating Lugia like fairly convincingly, I was all in on the Mew deck. Because if you can play a deck that consistent and it has a favorable matchup against the best deck in format, I think you just go for it. So, yeah. And, and we had been playing Mew a lot. I felt very comfortable with the deck. Um, it, it was kind of a, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's a Mew year. So we felt very, very good heading into the tournament, and the Lugia matchup was a kind of a pivotal part of this equation. So round number one, I play against a theme deck, take a couple wins. Well, it was, it was not a theme deck, but it was like a Guardy Beedrill deck. Um, but it had, you know, Energy Search, and uh, I think some might have had, like, Great Ball, you know, that kind of thing. And then round – I almost lost to it, though, because in my <laughs> first <laughs> – he had a Radiant Jirachi that I was, like, dead drawing in the first game enough to the point that, like, he was able to get a Beedrill out and he was able to take three prizes. And then when you're playing the Turbo Mew list, <laughs> you only have Mews to attack. So I'm attacking with this second Mew, and he needs to, like, flip two heads on Jirachi. I think he has, like, two or three chances to do it and just isn't able to get there. So I clench. And I pull out that dub. I uh, played a few Lugia on day one as well. Uh, I actually played three Lugia on day one. And that was a big point of pride there for me. I, I was able to go 3-0 uh, and o against Lugia with the series being split. So I'd always go, you know, win-loss-win for the most part. So it was, it was a little bit tight there. I, I was always like, okay, Lugia is very close. It felt like a very close matchup to me. But uh, in the end, was able to take it. I played a Reggie deck that I lost to, unfortunately. Played a Mew Mirror that I won, played a Zora box that I won, uh, but it was, I it, I think it was, in my opinion, um, one of the worst tournament experiences of my life in that round, and oh tied a Reggie. Yeah, the no, I had a, <laughs> what happened? I had a really bad experience with a, with a player at Toronto, so, um, and, you know, I'm, I'm I, I don't know, I, I don't know that I, I'll open myself up to criticism here, but uh, I took a I took a penalty. Uh, not me, but he had a penalty, so he drew extra cards off of a uh, off of a Cinchino. 
I noticed that and, you know, called the judge over because in my, uh, the, the way that I think about tournaments is that, and, and penalties in particular is like, I don't want to think about those. So if a penalty does happen, whether it's me or whether it's my opponent, if it's not reversible, then, you know, I, I'm going to just accept the judge's penalty and then not have to think about, okay, should I, you know, let my opponent take it back? Like, should I, you know, uh, you know, I, I just don't want to think about that kind of thing. Right. So my kind of um, stance on this, so I don't, me personally have to like go through all these mental gymnastics to like oh, let my opponent take something back or whatever it is oh, it's not that serious or it is that serious or whatever it is i just like always take penalties and anyway so he drew extra cards judge comes over gives him a two prize penalty and then you know i'm, I'm like okay well you know i uh, i'll take it um or i i won't dispute or i won't um I don't know what the, like, official... I won't rescind the penalty. I don't think and you then, even can. Like, if you call a judge, I don't think you can even reject it. Um, well, so so my opponent was, like, you know, he, he started to call my character into question. He started to say, you know, uh, things like, you know, I, I would never... You know, some people want to win the game in that way, and I would never do that. And, you know, it's an easy mistake to correct. And, you know, he's going on and on about how simple of a mistake it is. Like you can shuffle the deck if you want, like all these other non judge related uh, fixes, I guess, for the game state. And yeah, then he started to like call morality in question. Like, I can't believe you do this. Like, you know, that's not really showing uh, spirit of the game to not let me take this back. And, and I just, I don't know. I felt very, very uncomfortable. And there were just some things that he was saying that I was like, wow, this is, uh, yeah, I'm going to I'm going to not like say anything for I don't know to like respect his feeling of anger, I guess, right? I don't want to like inflame him even more. <laughs> yeah. Um but yeah, it was just a very awkward, uncomfortable round. I and can imagine I, so. I you know, and I wasn't I like was really kind of shooken up after it. I was like, "Wow, that's I don't fe think I've felt this uh, berated, you know, I, I really did feel berated after the round was over and, um, it was just a very unusual circumstance. So all that said, probably should have told the head judge. <laughs> yeah. I would have <laughs> called another judge. <laughs> like this dude's like harassing me. Yeah. Yeah. Actually I, I, I should have, I should have st stood up for myself a little bit more, but in that moment I was just more worried about, uh, you know, not making the situation worse. Because yeah. it already felt like it had gone to, like, an extreme. You know, he was like, I, you know, I thought you were cool, but I guess I was wrong, you know, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, kind of all, all these things that were that were more focused on, you know, me as a person than on what actually happened in the game. And <laughs> it was weird. So, anyway, that was that story. I beat him. Um, I won. So anyway, I go seven one one on day one. That was fun, and tenth seed into day two, which the extra win is not something that you often get the luxury of having. I would. And I say that just. About. Yeah, I say that just because. I was you going know, with you, the extra win. Personally. What's that? I always take the extra win personally. So. Oh, you okay? Yeah, I always try to go nine and zero. 
for, for me, but that's just me, you know, not everyone's like me. Um, you know, but a lot of times, you know, you'll, you'll get to that last round and you're six, two and you're like, okay, Ooh, should I, should I ID or should I take the win? And in Peoria, I actually took the ID in that situation and finished, you know, respectably at 34th, but I, I was able to, um, win in my last round. So I went six, one, one, and then won the last round to go seven, one, one. And that, that felt really good because having that extra win, extra points heading into day two is awesome to have. Unfortunately for me, day two was a significantly more depressing experience. And it was mostly matchup based. Yeah. It wasn't really that my play was any different, but it was matchup based and it was, um, it was hand based. You know, I, I got some pretty abysmal hands um, in a lot of these matchups that were somewhat even, somewhat close. So I lost to a Zorark box deck, which had, um, you know, the Mighty Ina, and the, he just got, you know, set up super fast. Really, really um, good play there in round 10. Round 11, I played an Arceus Inteleon, which I had to expect to win against, and I did. I played an Inteleon. Uh, deck essentially is like the is Charlie's Articuno Inteleon deck, and it had double Drapion in it, which with um, Inteleon. Yeah, I know. Yeah, so so he yeah, and that was actually just kind of how he won. Like there there was a game where I think I bricked him with a with a judge, and he just passed for a couple turns until he drew into the Raihan, and then he was able to Raihan and go for the second Drapion and win the game like that. It was just really frustrating. I played a Mew, and I played a uh, Duraludon, and it, it was just, it was a rough day because the games that I lost um, were either dead draws on my part or just pretty abysmal matchups. You lost to the Duraludon? I did. It was the last round. Yeah, it was, it was really disappointing uh, because I had a game one where... I just wasn't, I couldn't draw anything. You know, I, I was yeah. like at three Pokemon or something after my first turn and just like draw pass, draw pass kind of thing. And then game three was actually worse than that where I started, um, I think I started two Genesects and I had to pass. Gotcha. You know, I was, was going like, to say like, if the deck's firing, you should just, you should just win that match. Yeah. No, no, no. And that, I, I was pretty, you know, I like, like I, I try not to let it get to me, but I was a little bit, you know, <laughs> just you. disappointed in the deck after yeah. it had ran so well throughout the entire weekend to have it come down to that in a potential, you know, uh, a potential shot at top 16, more likely a, a 32, you know, top 32 chance. Um, it, it was a little bit frustrating, but ended the ended the day two and four in day two and coming up at 61st place on the tournament so it's just frustrating i didn't see any lugia in day two and i didn't see any lost box in day two so that was another deck that we felt very comfortable with the mew deck against where we if had they didn't multiple play kyogre. Judge. if they didn't play kyogre that's fair but you know looking at the uh, pairing screen that they were showing on the board said that there was 40 percent, a little under 40 percent of the field was lugia decks in day two and there was about 10%, I think it was 9% of Charizard-based Lost Box Lace, which we felt pretty good against. So given that there was about 45% of the field that was like very favorable for the Mew Path deck, and to not hit any of those 
I felt I just kind of felt like this tournament, you know, it just wasn't going to be my day, right? You got to hit the yeah. right matchups, uh, and then you got to maybe get lucky in a bad matchup, which I just wasn't able to do. So, unfortunately, well, I, and I say unfortunately because ultimately it was a fairly successful tournament. Being in the top five percent of players is not anything to like be depressed about, but it just feels, you know, it's sad. I mean, you, you always want to, you always want to go to that next level, right? Yeah, exactly. It's sad to, it's sad to get that far and to not be able to spike the tournament. Um, but all in all, really happy with how the deck performed. I think it was a really good call for the event. Just couldn't quite get there. Hit a lot of counters in day two, which, which really brought me down. Yeah, it did feel like Mew was a pretty solid... I, I didn't regret at all playing Mew, even though I, I had, like, a weird day one. <laughs> I didn't regret playing Mew at the tournament. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, ultimately, fairly decent success. And I think across the three of us, you, me, and Andrew, we didn't lose a set to Lugia, yeah. uh, which was a testament to, like, you know, why we picked the deck in the first place. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, and I, I do just want to shout out Andrew Mahone getting top 32 with his list he had a he had a shot a potential shot at top eight if we won his last round but um wasn't able to pull it out in the in the uh, Mew very close Mew matchup yeah, yeah a close matchup in the fusion strike Mew. so uh, shout outs to him i mean we've been doing you know fairly well i would say as a testing group throughout this season um we just haven't had that big spike which you know we're putting ourselves in the conversation which is always something that you want to do like this obviously is so much better than um you know not making it out of day one not to like that's not a dig on you i'm just saying like i'd rather be man that's, that ain't no dig i got way more day twos than you in the last hey, year uh, <laughs> uh, you know, i got i got you know 50 percent more regional wins uh, okay uh, well you also go to way more tournaments but i digress okay i digress <laughs> Um, it's always nice to be in that conversation as opposed to watching from the sidelines. So, um, yeah, you know, I'll take it. Top 64 finish. Uh, that's I think that puts me at like 100 points this season, which for only attending two regionals, have 100 it's points. Yeah. You know, that's uh, right on track. So feeling good. We got Arlington in a couple weeks and, you know, a lot to talk about. A lot that to digest from Toronto. That is in a week, my guy. <laughs> oh, a week and a half. <laughs> yeah, that's a week away. Um, so, I mean, coming out of Toronto and Stuttgart and Brisbane, the the real story was was countering Lugia, right? JW and I predicted that Lugia would be around forty percent of the meta in Toronto, and we were right on the money with that. And Lugia still wasn't able to bring it home, and that was because it was a very anti-Lugia meta game, especially at the top tables here so when i think of lugia counters you know shifting directionally um there's i think three maybe main buckets of decks that we're, we're really looking at um first is sort of stall right we saw sander pick up stall in laic to a great degree of success very realistic that he won that whole tournament in a different world um, and piper this past weekend picked up her second regional championship of the season with a Mewtwo stall variant. So stall is very much on the map right now. I mean, this feels like maybe the most prime metagame for stall that we've ever seen, <laughs> honestly. Uh, it just has such good matchups against the top decks. And it showed up in droves, honestly. It was a very popular choice heading into the Toronto Regional Championship and did up, end up picking the win. So a uh, huge congrats to Piper. That's certainly yeah. one of Lugia's main vulnerabilities right now. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Piper winning two in a season is, it's no small feat. Not many people uh, have ever done that, so congratulations to her for that. When we think of Lugia counters, though, Stahl isn't the only part of that conversation. I think the other main counter that we saw over this past weekend was sort of special condition-oriented decks. You know, people look at the top Lugia decks from the Latin America International Championship, and if you look across them, you'll notice one very common thread between them, um, and that is the lack of hard switching outs. Mm. You know, Lugia, because it can accelerate energy so freely, often will just use energy to retreat if it needs to, um, or just attack with whatever's active, right? The consequence of that is that you're now very vulnerable to paralysis, uh, and that was a huge story of this past weekend. You know, over in over in Brisbane, it was the Articuno and the Zekrom of the you know, the Frostmoth and the, the Flappy decks, respectively. Here in Toronto, we saw a lot of the Articuno in Charlie Lockyer's deck and the Jake Earhart Palkia deck. Um, and it's but also the also the Zekrom. I yeah, think. and the Zekrom was showing up in Lost Box. Lost it was showing up in Flappy. Uh, that's right, Caleb also made top eight with mm-hmm. his Lost Box variant alongside Grant Manley. Um, it's just, it was all over the place, right? The paralysis was a huge come up for the anti-Lugia metagame, right? So, yeah. and then the final big bucket is, you know, matching Lugia's power with equal power. <laughs> and that's where Mew it comes in, right? You know, Mew comes in and says, hey, not only am I going to just do the same amount of damage as you, I'm going to take those one-shots, but I'm also going to disrupt you every single turn. I'm going to play Judge now, uh, so you don't have to have control of your deck with a Ranguru. I'm going to path you. You're not going to hit your V-Star power, and it's all going to fall downhill from there. Um, And those are really the three most successful decks that we're seeing reliably against Lugia. Uh, of course, Arceus Duraldon is also somewhat in that conversation. Duraldon does somewhat have a weakness to Eveltal, but the second place Duraldon list did play multiple Parasol and a Temple of Sinnoh, all his ways to do... I mean, it's so crazy to me the meta has evolved to a point because of Eveltal where you want to play Temple of Sinnoh in your <laughs> Duraldon deck. Yeah, that's pretty wild. Um, like, wow, that's pretty insane. Um, but... Yeah, that's maybe one of the more fringe ways you can deal with with Lugia. And Draladon did have fairly decent representation, I would say, relative to its uh, perception, I guess, in the community. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, of these counters, JW, how are you feeling about those? Are are there ones that particularly catch your eye, or the things that you would eye up looking forward? Yeah, that's a great question. Around there um that's a great question so i you know had been talking about stall leading up to the uh, toronto regional championships and i couldn't get um, a list to work that i felt comfortable with i was trying to rely a little bit on the bird keeper cheryl loop that had been popularized a few formats ago by sander in the umbreon stall list and i thought maybe that could work out pretty well in this format with the Regilecki, but that didn't quite pan out. I was finding myself losing to just random decks or not getting set up as fast as I wanted to. Um, so, you know, that that was a little bit disappointing. I knew that there was a stall variant out there. Like I could just sense it, that it, there was something there. 
um, because of how centralized Lugia was in the format and how good special energy was and, and how important it was. Uh, but I, I just couldn't quite figure it out. But I mean, had it, looking forward, I mean, if Lugia stays at that 30 to 40% representation rate, I think Stahl continues to be a great call. Yeah, and Stahl's one of my favorite archetypes to play, so certainly something I'll be eyeing up in the future. Well, let's talk more after the card of the day and ad read about you know what that means going forward for, for Lugia decks and what Arlington's going to look like. But first, why don't we hit on a card of the day? So, JW, I got a fun one for you this week, and the Pokedex entry is it has ears like shovels, Digging holes strengthens its ears so much that they can sever thick cables effort, effort sorry, thick roots effortlessly. Not cables. It's it's ears? Yep. Um, um it's an it's a drill burr. <laughs> Drillbur doesn't use its ears, man. It uses little, little yeah, claws. Yeah, maybe it has. Oh, oh, it's a Bunnelby. Yeah, yeah, oh, it's, a right. bun, it's a Bunnelby. Yeah, let's go. <laughs> Not a first try victory, but fairly good nevertheless. So the card I picked out for today is Bunnelby from Primal Clash. It's actually two Bunnelbys in Primal Clash. I'm pretty sure that every time they printed a Delta or an Ancient Trait, they uh, they had a non-Ancient Trait version of the Pokemon. For the non-EXs. But I'm talking about the Ancient Trait Bunnelby with the Omega Barrage effect. Omega Barrage is probably unequivocally the strongest Ancient Trait. Um, you could maybe make an argument for Omega Barrier, but I think Omega Barrage is, is better. It just was put on bad Pokemon, mostly. Mm. <laughs> um, but Bunnelby has two really good attacks, neither of which do damage, uh, that it can use twice a turn. You know, thanks to the Omega Barrage effect. And so it has... Burrow, which discards the top card of your opponent's deck, and it has Rototiller, which shuffles a card from your discard pile back into the deck. Bunnelby is a staple card in sort of expanded or, or formerly GLC stall archetypes. It, that ability to not only flexibly choose between Burrow and Rototiller, but to you know have that mill option in addition to the, the shuffle option is just so good. Uh, Bunnelby is just a really awesome, powerful card. And it's cool, you know. I like a I like a Bunnelby. I like it when the little guys get something fun to do. Uh, and Bunnelby's a really cute, like Route One type of guy. I don't know. I think amongst like the the starter rodents, Bunnelby's way up there for me. I love when a card has a tertiary or a secondary benefit, you know, where, and I guess in some regard like a, a tertiary benefit but you can almost pivot between these two strategies of recycling any resources that you might need which is the primary but then also discarding the resources of your opponent i think that's a very very cool very interesting card um, for you know the entirety of the time that it was legal in standard um, or you know in in the expanded format when those tournaments were still happening so shout out to bunnelby yeah, one of my favorite plays. 
uh, in decks that I played Bumbleview was when I just happened to randomly start it to just like double burrow at the start oh, of the game. Nice, nice. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Or, or one of my favorite was like when your opponent's like running low in their deck and then you just decide to like, okay, well, I can. You know, I could like Bonnaby and like rescue stretcher Bonnaby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was gonna say, how many times could I realistically pull off a burrow on my opponent here for the for the last couple of cards in the deck? <laughs> so fun. Yeah, Bonnaby is a, a, a great card. Maybe a little overtuned, but a great card. And before we head into Arlington JW, why don't we give a thank you to our sponsor for this episode? Absolutely. Sponsor for today's episode is, of course, Manscaped, the premier men's below-the-waist grooming products. Manscaped has everything that you need to get your body looking right. They have, of course, their Lawnmower 4.0. This is one of the best, you know, ways to trim up that I have ever used. Um, and that's, you know, to be fair, that's not saying much. I'm probably like a lot of men out there who don't have an electric razor or the electric razor that they have is not quite doing what they need it to do. So would recommend if you're looking for a gift for yourself or friend or family member, hop on over to manscaped.com and check out what they got. Yeah. Manscaped is seriously high quality products. When you're looking at either your grooming needs or just general like self care, you think of things like their body wash and shampoos and, um, I can tell you, looks good, smells good, products are nicely packaged. The underwear is by far my favorite underwear that I have in my drawer. I can't sing their praises enough. It's really exciting that we get to continue to work with Manscaped over the last year uh, because they really do put out high-quality products that I enjoy using. Once again, I did wear my Manscaped boxers for my Toronto Regional Championship run, and I know... I, I roomed with Riley, so I know he did not wear his his Manscaped boxers. On That's actually pants. true. That is the this is the first regional in forever yeah. that I didn't wear the boxers on day one, and it's the first one that I did day two. Uh, the, I know, man. <laughs> the correlation is there. It's real. <laughs> I'm not saying. Freaky. I'm not saying that if you buy Manscaped boxers that you will make day two, but I'm saying there is a correlation. <laughs> <laughs> So hop on over manscaped.com, use code tag team at checkout. You're going to get 20% off plus free shipping. And it helps us out too, right? It's not just for you, but it actually, uh, you know, helps us as well. So head on over to manscaped.com, use code tag team for 20% off plus free shipping. Thank you so much to Manscaped for sponsoring the cast. All right, JW. So we've hit on some some staple pillars of the Lugia counter game. We have our stall, we have our special conditions, we have sort of out aggressing with Mew and disrupting with Path. What is the response? You know, Lugia in of itself, it just has so many options available to it by virtue of you know, having a, it is a wide, I would say skeleton, but it has enough slots to be flexible. And because you can leverage sort of any energy type and any number of awesome special energy combos, you can really have some bold strategies to do some crazy things. What is the response by Lugia to these top threats? Do you just stay the course and like leave your deck unchanged? Do you make some major modifications to account for these counters? 
you know, what are you doing with your Lugia decks as we look ahead to Arlington next week? Yeah, well, we already saw some players start to respond to potential threats, right? We knew that Lugia um, really didn't need to play and also uh, didn't necessarily have a lot of space for switching cards. Um, so what a lot of players opted to do was play a 1-1 Espeon VMAX line to counteract potential threats in the form of any auto paralysis. That was really interesting. I mean, we saw that from uh, Rahul Reddy and Isaiah Bradner in their testing group, and that was just to get ahead of any of this Articuno jelly or Zekrom paralysis. And that, that, that was really, really effective uh, for them uh, coming up you know, with, with some really nice results in Toronto. I think that's what you look at as being kind of the, um, you know, the, the, the way to tech out Lugia. You have maybe two to three slots to try to, because I think the base core of the Lugia deck is all there. You know, a lot of the main counts um, of Lugia, of Archaeops, of the supporters are really um, well-defined at this point. But you might have two or three slots and you can try to add in some counters. So I think right. the Espeon VMAX was uh, one of the more ingenious counters, not something that I had necessarily thought of. Um, and I wasn't really predicting that there would be a lot of this paralysis-focused uh, decks in Toronto. So, I mean, they just made a great meta call and it paid off. That's not, we did kind of expect paralysis. We, we played uh, the switch instead of the switch card. Uh, yes, but it wasn't something that we were thinking would be like as ubiquitous. As yeah, I mean, there were two of, you know, there were two Articuno <laughs> uh, adjacent decks in the top eight. I don't That's think fair. we would have ever envisioned that. That's fair. Yeah. So when we look at the paralysis, Espeon is a really great counter. Now, of course, those decks do have sort of the counter to the counter situation going on where they could play a path to the peak to, you know, shut off the Espeon for a turn, things like that. Mm -hmm. Other options that you have, if you're specifically looking to deal with paralysis, uh, Verizian is a good option. Mm -hmm. uh, Verizian is a little bit less deck real estate than Espeon, but it doesn't have some of the ancillary benefits of Espeon. Or Espeon, for example, is actually decent in the mirror because it can block the Veltal effect. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, Whereas Brizion is definitely like more targeted towards special conditions, and it is easier to disrupt because um, the Brizion not only needs a, a colored energy, whereas Espeon is any energy, but now, now as a consequence, you can be disrupted by Temple of Sinnoh and by Path to the Peak, sure. um, which is worth noting. I think the other main like paralysis counter is the Birdkeeper Eldegoss type of loop as a sort of soft counter. Uh, you can play it, you know, multiple times over the course of the game, you know, two, three, four times realistically um, to, to get out of that loop. But, you know, the consequence of that is, you know, if, especially if you're looping the Eldegoss, you're not doing a ton of damage every turn. So right. you're, like, kind of making a trade-off there. Realistically, you're, like, going to use Luminion for the the uh, bird keeper once and then maybe you eldegoss to use it again and don't attack with the eldegoss and if they paralyze you a, a third time you're not in a good situation right <laughs> uh, so it's a little more i guess flexible of attack with the eldegoss bird keeper 
but uh, a little less effective. I mean, but there are still things that you can do into the paralysis decks, right? Like you can sure. you can birdkeeper into a Lugia V, and then attack with that, and then if they paralyze you, you can. Evolve, That's true. Yeah, right? so, so you can you can kind of like stretched out to yep. get extra value out of it. Um, I would still say like the Eldegoss birdkeeper is probably a little bit softer of a a counter counter than like the Espeon or the. Yeah, but it's like that last little bit of toothpaste in the bottle, right? You just got to make sure it goes as far as possible. But it is is possible. (laughs) That's a a good analogy. You can get those extra attacks and those extra meaningful attacks. And sometimes, like, a couple, like, one or two extra attacks is all you need anyway. Yeah, that's right. You might not even have to work that much harder, like, that might be all you care about. Right. Oftentimes, oftentimes these auto-paralysis decks just don't, quite do enough damage or they take a little bit of time to get set up so um you know if you're able to get a you know turn two set up um with the lugia deck you know you, you might be able to uh, realistically get a couple of attacks off before uh, things start to get a little dicey so um, you know there's always that of course so and we did uh, certainly see that um mm-hmm. when rahul played jake on stream um rahul was going down to like two prizes every game and then jake yeah. would would seal it up with the articuno yeah. But, you know, if Rahul had access to, to one more attack in those games, his Espeon was KO'd in the games that he lost, right. Um, right. he might have been able to pull it out. So, Yeah, exactly. So how about um, responses for stall? Are there any things that Lugia can do to counteract this stall archetype that Piper played? Yeah, I think it, this one's a little bit less straightforward than the Paralysis. Uh, both because stall is more varied in its strategy um, and just like a little more antithetical on the whole to Lugia, whereas, you know, special conditions can always sort of be played around. Um, I think there's maybe a couple things you can do. First and foremost is just packing your deck with energy. Um, you know, we've seen people get a little skimpy with their energy. Towards deck played 15. You know, some people might go as low as 14. I don't think we typically see much lower than that, because at that point you're not really getting much value out of your Archeops. Mm. Um, but maybe that 16th energy, for example, is the difference maker, or at least going up to the 15 if you're at 14. You know, often Lugia deck is able to swing for really meaningful knockouts over the course of the game, but it just needs that last like little extra push to, to close out the game, and that's where having one or two extra energy can, can be a big difference maker. Um, the other, you know, concept would be some sort of way to recycle cards. So we saw, I saw a couple tweets of people playing Ursa Luna as a target in addition to oh, Archeops. I don't think that's super so good. Yeah. I, I don't think that's super good, but it's it's really funny. So I, I wanted to mention it. Um, you could also consider playing cards like, I don't know, like a Roseanne's Research to get an extra energy back. But at that point, you might as well just like play more energy you know i I don't think lugia has great answers just inherently to stall because the veltal is so good and you you do that a couple times in the game you throw out a mewtwo and lugia is just inherently going to struggle with at that point yeah absolutely and then you know i guess the other core pillar there is is sort of mew has been a struggle point for lugia we look at the stats online it reflects that we look at our results it reflects that is there anything Lugia can do to sort of seal up that that Mew matchup? Into the into what matchup? Mew. You're saying. 
Mew into Lugia. No, Lugia into Mew. Oh, Lugia into Mew. I mean, I guess there's always going to be extra ways to bump Path. I mean, that will be... Path is not necessarily something that we're seeing in high counts in any deck right now outside of Mew. <laughs> Which is so bizarre. It's just like, yeah, saying that sentence, I mean, I don't think I'll ever get, uh, I'll ever get over that. <laughs> but with Lugia... You could there again. We're talking about a few extra slots for teching, so you know you could play an additional vacuum. You could play an additional stadium. I saw uh, someone was talking in in one of our group chats about the primordial altar, or I'm getting the name of that wrong, but the one that lets you look at the top card and discard it. There's a stadium there, so you could potentially stack your deck with an orangaroo. <laughs> yeah. And then discard the Archeops that you stack the deck with, with the stadium. So that could be kind of cool, you know, playing just a couple extra ways to get around the Mew. But yeah, like we were talking about earlier on the cast, Mew has a, from our perspective, has a really, really good matchup in the Lugia. So that would be something that I would consider, um, you know, heading into these tournaments this upcoming week is like trying to have another answer to path. I think the other component here. Obviously, like, Path, I would say, is the, the biggest factor that leads to Mew being favored in that matchup. Um, but if you're struggling to close versus Mew, you could also consider playing something like a Drapion in your deck. I don't really find that Lugia, if it gets going, is, like, really struggles to close. Um, it's more like it struggles to open. <laughs> um, but one cool thing about Drapion in the Lugia deck is you actually can just, like, fully power it up if you need to. Um, as a way to swing into a Mew for a one-hit KO with damage. You know, if it has a Parasol on it, you could still attack with a Drapion, for example. And Drapion does have the ancillary benefit of being able to one-shot a Mewtwo V Union. So, yeah. Cool. I think that all sounds pretty good. Yeah. So, where does this leave us for Arlington? You got a week away. Stahl just yeah. won a regional championship. Inteleon box won a regional championship. <laughs> like, what's the deal? Yeah, that, I mean, you know, my initial reaction coming out of coming out of Toronto was that I had a really good time day one with Mew and a really bad time day two, and I don't want to go through any more of those hard counters. So, for me, I think I am like not thinking about Mew for Arlington, or at the very least, I'm going to try everything I possibly can to come up with another deck that has a relatively okay time into Lugia that can beat the counter decks for the most part, and, you know, that doesn't just fold to any of the other proposed popular decks, right? So um, something that I'm heavily considering right now would be a Lost Box-style deck, whether that's more Charizard-focused or Kyogre-focused, I'm not quite sure yet. Uh, I have been testing a lot with Charizard, though. Um, and the biggest issue with Charizard is that it's tough into a quick Stoutland. It has a hard time into a quick Stoutland. So you have to play things like um, maybe Mirage Gate to set up a Snorlax and then get the Choice, Band, or Choice Belt onto the Snorlax to do 210 to knock out a Stoutland. So that would be something that I would consider. Still need to work out some kinks with the list. Um, but that's certainly at the top of my at the top of my radar right now, heading into Arlington. 
Yeah, I'm also somewhat inclined to agree as much as I would love to carry on the new year. I feel like Drapion stocks are going up heading into Arlington. Uh, both, you know, Mew did very well at at Stuttgart in particular. There were three Mews in the top eight and two in the top four. Yeah. Um, and, you know, Mew is just a consistent factor that's on people's mind. Plus the fact that Drapion can be justified in many decks as a way to, like, break down the Mew2V union. It just feels like not the best time to play Mew. Maybe, you know, maybe I come back in two weeks and <laughs> we talk about how we played Mew and it was awesome, but um, that's sort of certainly, like, the vibe I'm picking up right now. So my perspective is it honestly might be a good time to just find the hole and play the Lugia deck, um, or I would really like to play a stall deck. Honestly, the deck I would want to play the most would be a Loxbox deck, because I think they're the most fun decks in the format by, like, yeah. a decent amount. Yeah. Um, so I would be, like, overjoyed to, to break Loxbox for what has you What has you worried about with Lost? Like, what are, what are you scared of when you're thinking about playing Loxbox? For- I mean, I, I think Lugia, honestly. Just the, the fast Stoutlands can... Can yeah. just be so tough, or even the the slow Stoutland, like the end game Stoutland out of nowhere that takes the final two prizes, mm, can be yeah. a real pain. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, yeah, it can be tough. They obviously the Lugia has a few little tricks that they can use to to route the game very favorably for them. You know, a couple of one prizers that uh, can be tough to knock out at times. You know, obviously going in with a big Lugia V star. Uh, maybe even a couple of those if it can tank a hit or two, go to the bench, and then like you said, yeah, that late out of nowhere Stoutland. Yeah, to just get those final two prizes. It That's what scares me the most right now, is I just don't feel... Gr- any of the Lost Box decks I've played have just not felt as good as I want them to into Lugia. Um, certainly certainly the possibilities out there, otherwise like Grant and Caleb and Azul and Danny uh, wouldn't opt to play it <laughs> multiple tournaments in a row if they didn't think it was very good to Lugia. Yeah. Um, that hasn't been my lived experience personally, but um, maybe that just means there's more to explore. Yeah. Is there anything else out there that you see as being a possibility? Um, I don't know. I don't necessarily think like the Charlie Lockyer um, hard lean into Articuno deck will will stay vogue personally. Yeah, I, um, I do. I did want to say that because while I did play against it and while it was very, very effective uh, against me, I do feel as though it was a great meta call and a one hit wonder. Right. I would be very surprised to see that deck uh, have as good of a run in a future tournament. Not to say that it's a bad deck and not to say that it wouldn't see success, but I would be surprised to see multiple of uh, that style of deck make uh, top eight again. I know, obviously, Charlie's and um, uh, Jake Gearhart's lists were different. Well, that's but... actually what I was going to say, is I think something more like what Jake played yeah. probably could see success again, because, yeah. you know, Palkia is a very strong, proven deck. It just really struggled versus Lugia, and Articuno was a way to kind of, like, get that final, like, matchup percent versus Lugia, right? Yeah, level the playing field in a bit. Um, and Palkia, like, historically has done well into to other decks, so I, I could see that continuing to do well. Sure. Um, but I don't see things like the Flappy Box or the um, or the, the Frostmoth type of decks or the Articuno and or the Articuno Italian decks, like, 
really continuing to thrive. One, I guess, X-Factor is, like, what's going on with this, like, Vikavolt Palkia deck slash Vikavolt decks in general. Yeah. Um, I, and I really don't know, to be honest. <laughs> I lost to a Vikavolt deck in, uh, in Toronto, so maybe there's some potential there, too. Yeah, we'll have to explore a little bit. I hope to get some testing in with you and the guys uh, here over the weekend. Absolutely. Make sure we, make sure we can yeah, come up with something, something fun, something good maybe something a little bit different i i've wanted to play something a little bit spicy here for the last few tournaments so see if we can make that happen <laughs> i would love to make that happen although view your judgment day was a good meme so it was a super good meme yeah, it was really <laughs> fun yeah i love i love playing the three different judge arts in my list that was a lot of fun huge shout out to to adler pierce for coming up with the judgment day <laughs> tagline that was so good yeah it was really good yeah. and that's what sold me on the deck honestly it was it was, <laughs> it was calling it judgment day we just needed to do a little bit better i know like if we won it it would have been so insane <laughs> you know yeah yeah it would have literally been judgment day well next time next time next time for sure well, I think this is a really solid episode. Hopefully you all feel like you're getting some insight heading into Arlington. And the way you can show that to us is by leaving a rate and review on the cast. It helps us know how we're doing and what you like or would like to see change going forward. And if you would like to connect with us on social media, the easiest way to do that is through Twitter. Uh, JW and I both use Twitter. You can find me at Smiles of Riles, JW at Real John Walter and the podcast at Tag Team Pokemon. And, of course, if you want to listen to the cast every single week, we record on my Twitch channel, twitch.tv slash munner. You can also find JW over at twitch.tv slash flexdaddyrighteous. We also have merch. Check on flexdaddy.card slash shop. Find some sweet tag team merch, long sleeve. It might be a great gift for yourself or another fellow listener of tag team over the holiday season. So I normally ship out on Thursdays. I got a couple orders to ship out tomorrow. So if you're waiting on one, it's coming. Trust. <laughs> trust. It's coming. Just trust the process. So Yeah. Thanks to everybody that's bought a shirt so far. Um, and, yeah, I got a few more to ship out this this week. So head on over to flexdaddy.cart/shop. Find those shirts over there and get yourself one. Thank you all so much to lis- for listening. We appreciate all of your support, and it's so awesome to see fans of the cast at these different tournaments. Seriously, it makes my day uh, hearing about how you all enjoy the show. And we will catch you next time. Peace. See you.